This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Garum. Yes. And it's a wild ride. Ooh. It is a wild ride. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Truly. Like, it's fascinating to me how much has been written about this thing, how much science has been done about this thing. Mm-hmm. And it kind of almost died out. Um, yeah, it's sort of low-key didn't exist for about a thousand years. Right. But now, I mean, pretty recently, people have really gotten into it. It is back. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is back. And certainly we, we see its influence in, in a lot of stuff, stuff that we've talked about before, and we have talked about it in those histories before. Yes, it has come up in quite a few episodes, um, perhaps particularly ketchup, uh, anchovies, Worcestershire, Worcestershire, Worcestershire. <laughs> that's how they say sure. it in Scooby Doo, but I've heard that that's not correct. Uh, one of those. Uh, also, soy sauce. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it has. And and when I was researching this, it was really fun because I was like, oh, this. I remember reading about this in another episode that isn't any of those episodes. So <laughs> it has had like a long reach for something <laughs> that kind of wasn't around for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, and actually, an episode that's coming out soon, when I was researching it, uh, Garam showed up. Ah. So, very cool. Very cool. All right. Um, well, yeah, uh, I, I, guess, I guess I should say, like, like, I don't think I have ever had this. I, I've never knowingly had it. If it has been in anything I've eaten, I was not personally informed of that fact. Me as well. I think I've had something... Something very similar in flavor profile, um, but I don't know if I've ever had the quote real thing. Sure, yeah, which people fight about. So, oh, absolutely, to that say. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I've certainly had fermented fish sauces before, lots of that. Yes, but mm-hmm. usually more in the like Southeast Asian style. 
Right. Exactly. Which we will talk about briefly. Oh, yeah. Um, but I guess this brings us to our question. Oh, gosh, it does. Mm, well, get him. What is it? Well, uh, garum is a type of liquid seasoning made by salting and fermenting fish and then straining out the solids, leaving you with a thin, amber-colored, translucent sauce that's that's so savory and, and salty. It might be seasoned with herbs during the fermentation process, uh, and that process uh, also utilizes heat, usually from sunlight, and the enzymes that are naturally present in fish guts to help break the fish down. Um, it is primarily a historical sauce from the ancient Mediterranean, though there are cultures that still create similar products and, and have been for, for this whole time. And as we just said, it is coming back today. I do not think I've had it, but I have the idea that it's like a like a funky, briny soy sauce, like, mm -hmm. like if ketchup were a fish broth. Mm. Like, like your fish broth is going through its Dadaist period. Like it is bold and a little absurd and for the people. <laughs> yes. And quite strong from what I can ascertain. Yes. Quite powerful. Powerful in flavor, small amount. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's whole shtick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and yes, uh, this episode is not about East and Southeast Asian fish sauces, those are whole separate histories, future episodes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, all right. So, garum. Um, different types and parts of fish can be used for different effects in garum, but I ideally or perhaps typically you're looking to use whole, small, fatty fish like anchovies or sardines. If not whole fish, you, you want to make sure that some fish guts do make it in there because they are a critical ingredient. Um, and if you're using larger fish, uh, cutting them up into pieces helps partially to, to get those guts into the mix more readily. Mm -hmm. So to, to make garum, all right, you, you alternate layers in, in, a, in a vessel like a ceramic pot or a glass jar. You alternate layers of salt and, and your fish or your fish parts, whatever. Um, you might also add in layers of fresh herbs like, uh, like thyme, oregano, dill, and or parsley. Uh, you end it with a good layer of salt on the top and then put a flat weight on top of that. Uh, the weight is so that as the fish starts liquefying, um, the remaining solids stay submerged um, because liquefy it shall. Um, ah! yeah. <laughs> that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Okay. All right. So, um, so yeah, you, you leave this jar or vessel, um, in a warm place, like open sunlight and let it hang out for a few months. Um, like at least three months, probably these days, more like six months to a year. And while it sits, uh, you, you've got a few things that are going to be going on. Um, some friendly microbes, like lactic acid bacteria, are going to eat some of the nutrients in the fish and break them down into other compounds. Uh, bacteria poop flavor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the heat from the sunlight is going to break down other compounds. And the enzymes in the fish guts... I think the same ones that would have like helped the fish digest their food while they were alive are going to break down other other compounds. And so, yeah, some of those new compounds created from all of this may um, react with each other, producing more other compounds. And this whole complicated interactive process of physical and chemical decomposition over time 
results in a salty liquid containing a whole bunch of glutamates, um, uh, amino acids that, that taste savory or umami, like um, the way that a tomato or beef or mushrooms or ramen tastes savory, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, plus some other flavors, yeah. You then strain or drain off the liquid. Um, it'll look like a, like a watery maple syrup, and that is considered like the good stuff. Uh, you can also press the remaining solids to produce sort of like a second run um, that'll be cloudier with, senti- with se- sentiment with sediment. <laughs> it'll be cloudy. Sediment and sediment. <laughs> it'll be cloudy with sentiment. Oh, gosh, oh. I've been there. Um, <laughs> uh, and, um, and yeah, and then um, after you've done that, you can dry the remaining solids into a sort of paste or like a, like a salt flake um, to use as a seasoning as well. Mm-hmm. Historically, because salt was expensive, uh, garum would have used less salt than our tastes and fermentation practices generally dictate today. Today's versions are probably, oh gosh, like two to <laughs> two to three to four times as salty. Whoa. <laughs> like quite a okay. bit saltier. <laughs> quite All a right. bit saltier. Um, and yeah, it can be used in dishes or as a table condiment or, I don't know, like in drinks. Like think about like a nice martini or a Bloody Mary with a little dash of garum in it. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the nutrition? Uh, garum, garum by itself is pretty, pretty okay for you. It's got like a punch of protein, some good micronutrients, uh, as we've been saying, a big flavor bang for your caloric buck. Um, it can be heavy on the salt if that's something you're watching out for. Watch out for that. Uh, you know, drink some water. Always good. Always good. Always good. Uh, well, we don't really have any numbers for you. We do. But they're mostly historic numbers. Yeah. Yeah. We have a bunch of dates-ish mm-hmm. um, in our history section. I think this is the first time that I've ever just kind of come up completely bare of, of numbers for anything. So fun. Yeah. Well, again, it's pretty – it's like newly, newly being made again. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Yeah. There's but not- it was gone. Right. There's not really a global production, and it's tricky mm-hmm. to track down what, like, quote unquote, global production was in its heyday. Right. So, yes, but we we do have some numbers for you in the history section. Yes, yes, we do. Um, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime 
confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay, so yeah, historians have really struggled to nail down the history of garum. Um, especially since the term has been used to refer to a sauce or seasoning used in the cooking process, also called liquamen, and a condiment composed primarily of fish. Um, and I kind of depended on the sources I used. I'm pretty sure sometimes it's used interchangeably, but here we are. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, the the condiment version was was primarily fish blood, I think, um, and liquamen was referring to this amber-colored sauce we've been talking about. But yeah, no, there is like still confusion about this. It's not <laughs> It's not just us. It's not just us. <laughs> um, uh, historically, liquamen was the amber sauce we've been talking about. And garum was this related sauce incorporating fish blood that would have been like black in color and, and tasting um, a little bit of iron due to the blood content. Um, but the thing is, is that liquamen was a Roman word for a Roman sauce developed out of a Greek sauce called garros. Yeah. And because garum and garros sauces are related anyway, there was like some transliteration throughout history um, mm -hmm. when other people throughout time were writing about this stuff. And there is still argument about what all these terms mean. Um, but right. The amber sauce is the one we are largely talking about today, and we are calling it garum. And that is what is up. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is what is up yeah. for sure. Oh, my, oh, my. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> on that note, yes, uh, fermented fish sauces are ancient. Um, they do exist all over. One of the earliest records we have of one such sauce comes out of 5th century BCE Greece, describing an amber-colored sauce of small fermented fish and salts. 
Um, in the first century BCE, Horace wrote of Spanish garum specifically, citing their fish salting facilities and their general domination uh, in this area of the processed fish market. Yeah. Um, and, and there were like large scale facilities like fish sauce was apparently the only large scale factory industry that was happening in the area during the um, last few centuries BCE. Uh, and Rome went on to kind of popularize it, but they picked it up from the Greeks and they liked the stuff from Spain the best. So it is right. truly a uh, uh, inter intra Mediterranean <laughs> situation. Right. And I've seen a lot of uh, arguments about that as well, because a lot of times you'll read it as like Rome's lost fish sauce or something like ancient Rome's lost fish sauce. Mm -hmm. and people are like, actually, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Not quite true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but since ancient times, the Greeks and Romans have adored garum. They wrote about it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Pliny the Elder wrote about it in the first century CE, describing it as an, quote, exquisite sauce, and quote, a choice liquor consisting of the guts of fish and the other parts that would otherwise be considered refuse. Um, people did probably use it as a condiment uh, while cooking like we've been saying, a little goes a long way. That was true back then as well. Um, it was frequently used with meat or combined with other liquids and seasonings to make something else. Yeah, yeah. It was used, right, as a table condiment in place of salt. Like it was more popular, way more popular as a table condiment than salt was for a long time. It was also used in recipes um, or uh, mixed with seasonings um, plus like vinegar or wine or oil to make different types of sauces. Yeah. Yes. And one of the reasons it was so popular was because it was a useful and tasty way to preserve fish um, while also providing a good punch of protein. The thinner varieties were more prized um, and some of the, quote, weaker types were used as rations for the Roman army, for instance. And the price and quality could vary wildly. A nice bottle of garum could run you about $500 in today's money. But cheap bottles were popular amongst the impoverished. So just huge range. <laughs> Full scale. Yeah. Um, and I I read in, in one source uh, that they might have been even more expensive than that, like the equivalent of like $5,000 today. Ooh. Hoofda. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, um, the uh, so so right that that clear amber stuff was the most expensive. Those cloudy pressings after the clear stuff was drained off um, uh, were cheaper. That was called alix, alix, alix. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, and then right those those solids, uh, leftover solids turned into paste or flake were were uh, more affordable still. Right, and it's hard to. <laughs> hard to stress enough. The Romans loved it. They loved it. Uh, they loved it so much. They developed these new trade routes, at least in part, to have easier access to large-scale garum production sites as far away as North Africa. Like, they weren't even, they weren't able to get enough for the demand yeah. in their area. So they are like, well, well, right out. let's go. <laughs> I did read, I only saw this in like a couple places, but I read that some areas had restrictions on where new garum production areas could be constructed because the smell was so strong. Uh, I have also heard, uh, well, okay, so, um, our, our friend, Dr. Julia Skinner does have a recipe for garum in, uh, the book that we were talking with her about a couple months ago, um, Our Fermented Lives. Uh, 
And she notes there that, like, she's never had a smell problem with the garum itself. But um, but if you're drying out those those uh, those remains, the the solids that that is a thing. She I think the way she put it was um, if if you don't live alone or have a very forgiving housemate, <laughs> be, be cautious. Good note. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At any rate. <laughs> yes. Uh, Garum was also used medicinally for both humans and animals, um, for all kinds of things. Oh, my goodness. Huh. I even saw crocodile bite. Oh, crocodile okay. bite. Huh. Ooh. Sure. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. Doesn't sound good, no. but all right. Um, at the time... Garum, uh, it frequently consisted of fish, usually small fatty fish, but really whatever was available, um, left to putrefy in open containers, often with any available herbs and spices, um, and sometimes even wine would be added in. It wasn't the easiest process. Um, the smell, yes, was particularly rough by a lot of accounts I read. Um, and the task was often forced upon enslaved people in ancient Rome or laborers. And they would gut the fish, they would put them in clay pots, and then cover them with brine, a brine of seawater and salts, along with any herbs and spices that they wanted, and then leave them to ferment for up to a year. Um, these vats used for making garum have been discovered all over, from Tunisia to France. However, these vessels didn't have the organic residue to concretely prove garum was being made in them that researchers wanted, hmm. but that has changed more recently, ah. and more on that in a second. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a teaser. <laughs> uh, one of the earliest descriptions we have of the process of making garum dates back to uh, 20 to 30 CE, when a Latin poet observed fishermen salting the blood of their catch of tuna for the sauce. So again, here's kind of our confusion about what Mm -hmm. we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. But um, he observed, too, that smaller fish would be caught and put in clay pots where, quote, their inward parts melt and issue forth as a stream of decomposition. Mm -hmm. Uh, A recipe for garum appeared in the Apicius as well. And following that recipe, garum was used in pretty much every other recipe in there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it does feature in several written works um, from that time. And from that, we know the finest garum was sometimes given as a gift. On the other hand, uh, another work sarcastically commends anyone who can still have feelings for a woman who has had six helpings of, quote, putrid garum, which somebody calculated to be about half a pint. <laughs> wow. <laughs> seems okay. like a lot. That is indeed um, a bunch. <laughs> huh. Yes. Um, someone else decried the smell of garum-tinged burps. <laughs> Even the day after eating it, it's actually a really excellent burn description. Oh. Like, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. In the second century CE, Artemidoros wrote, to drink fish sauce signifies decay, for fish sauce is nothing more than putrefaction. I do love, this quote comes up in a lot of sources about it, and I love how many people who are currently trying to make it or get to the bottom of it are like, again, well, actually, that's not what's happening. <laughs> At one point, Christianity forbade the consumption of animal blood, including that of fish, which did impact how garum was made. Some argue that the Romans introduced garum to Asia via trade routes. Others argue that Asia developed their own independently, while others argue both could be 
the case. Again, those are other episodes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm nearly, I mean, it only, again, it's one of those things that only makes sense that if you have salt, which you right. do if you're by a salt water body, um, yep. and you have fish, which you do if you're by yes. a salt water body, then you would probably combine them in this way. Mm -hmm. um, and you would probably, it keeps fairly well if you, you know, keep it well bottled. So it would probably fly along these trade routes. Um, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think some of that comes down to how extremely precise people are being about what they consider garum. Sure. Absolutely. That's a whole other thing. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, an 11th century book that spanned a whole, like, lot of time. So while it was published in the 11th century, a lot of stuff in it is way earlier than that. Hopefully that makes sense. But yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had a very detailed description of how garum was made. And it included several recipes for the preparation of garum. Yeah. Um, and at different times um, in in this entire millennia that was its kind of heyday, different types of fish were most common or most uh, most preferred. Uh, mackerel was probably most common a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, you've also got those, those anchovies coming in. And I think tuna was considered just real posh, perhaps especially towards the end of garum's heyday. Mm -hmm. That's the think so. that's a vibe I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> I got that vibe as well. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. But okay, what happened to the heyday of Garum? <laughs> it rained for a millennia and then. It did. And then. There were a couple of things that were at play here. One of the big ones was the fall of the Roman Empire, which, this is a food show, but basically uh -huh. allowed for these heavier taxes on salt, which drove up the price of garum. Another thing, easier and cheaper substitutions or replacements. Uh, so in Asia, for instance, the record shows that fish sauces were widely used up until about the 14th century when soy sauce mm -hmm. came onto the scene and largely took these the place of these fish sauces. And we did talk about that in our soy sauce episode. Yeah. Um, pirates! <laughs> Pirates also played a role in the virtual disappearance of Garum for a while. Um, cities, industries, and boats no longer had the protection of the Romans in this area, and they could be attacked or destroyed by pirates at any time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, at a certain point, right, like salt and like table salt in particular became an easier, cheaper substitute than processing salt with the fish and the whole thing. So it was just like, what? why don't we just skip to straight to that thing? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Keep it simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple. Speaking of the opposite of that, there was a whole <laughs> essay I found written about garum and how it worked with in the humors, which we've also done an oh, episode on. Oh, sure. Hmm. And it just gave me a headache. But uh, they did think <laughs> about it. Um, and that was a whole source of conversation as well. Uh, but, okay, this, we're jumping way ahead now. Yeah. All yeah. right? Because several recent discoveries have kick-started the interest in understanding and recreating ancient garum. Um, so in 2001, divers discovered a merchant ship carrying 2,500 jars capable of holding 10 gallons of garum. Wow. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> it was very, very popular, everybody. <laughs> okay. Huh. Yes. And then, this is sort of the thing I teased at earlier, our understanding of garum changed in 2009 when researchers found six sealed large clay vessels 
in the area of Pompeii that they've come to call the Garum Shop. All right. And seriously, there are old-timey ads they uncovered advertising this place <laughs> that was like, this fellow makes the best Garum this side of whatever. Like, it's actually kind of cute. Um, <laughs> and then there's this mosaic in Pompeii that depicts pictures of Garum. Um, okay. So, yeah, pretty popular. So when Mount Vesuvius erupted in 79 CE, the resulting ash served as this perfect method for preserving the sealed containers. And food technicians stepped in. They followed this recipe for garum from the 3rd century CE that uh, called for uh, heavily salted fermented fish, fennel, dill, coriander, and some other dried herbs. And they recreated a version of this ancient garum or did they (laughs) because yes people do like to fight about this um Mm -hmm. in a very i would say fond way yeah Um, yeah but yes some people do question its authenticity both in what was produced and the actual date of the recipe when that was produced and they used some like really cool csi sounding things (laughs) You can read all about it. It's fascinating to identify the fish used in these ancient vats. And they identified it as anchovies. And they also detected mint, oregano, sage, and thyme as some of the seasonings that were used. So cool. And I know it's really, it's really cool. (laughs) They weren't done experimenting in order to replicate the conditions of folks making garum 2,000 years ago or to the best that they could. They built these huge vats on a beach near them, but the fermentation process still hadn't reached an end after six months had passed. And I think they were, like, it hadn't even gotten close. Like, they were like, (laughs) something's not working here oh but. yeah huh well yeah 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 and i think that um uh the, the the writing about that happened in november of 2021 so mm. uh and i have not i've not followed up on that research i'm sure it's ongoing uh, oh, i hope so yes. heck i hope so too let us know mm-hmm. <laughs> um a 2010 analysis of ancient garum uh, ancient garum remains out of Pompeii and then comparing it to modern fish sauces from Southeast Asia found that they do have very similar flavor profiles. Oh, cool. Huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, an ancient condiment factory that was used for making garum was discovered in what is now southern Israel in 2019. So a lot of this research is pretty recent, yeah. is ongoing. And as we've been saying, Garum has seen this surge in in popularity, whether it's just people wanting to learn more about it or people wanting to use it and try it in recent years, especially in Spain and Italy, where chefs are experimenting with ancient recipes and modern ingredients and taste. Uh, You can even buy Garum online. Um, And of course, you can see its footprints in sauces like Worcestershire, Worcestershire, Worcestershire. Um, <laughs> that one, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, which isn't the same, but it's definitely like... It's in the family. It's in the family. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. I, I read, and I would love if listeners could write in about this, but like in Spain, some like tourist shops and like at, I think even airports sell it. Um, yeah, there's a couple like like kind of um, bougie name brands of garum mm-hmm. floating around, like like posh chefs are making it now mm-hmm. oh so interesting yeah so, so interesting oh my goodness <laughs> yeah I I love all of this you know just 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 humans affinity for 
savory for like umami um, yes. is so pervasive and long reaching. And, and also the weird heckin' ways that we come up with for uh, preserving or, or, or using the, the scraps of what, you know, like you take away the good cut of fish, you have the guts and the bones. What are you going to do? I don't know. Pack them in salt until it's sauce. That's cool. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> it is. And like modernly, that sounds a little weird and gross to most of us, probably. Like it wouldn't be the first thing that I would think to do with something. But but man, it makes so much sense. It does. It really does. And it had quite the heyday. Yeah. It had quite the following. Um, I love it. I can't I can't wait to revisit this one. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I cannot wait to see to see what we can find about other mm -hmm. types of fish sauces. I mean, mm -hmm. you you know us. Every time we get to talk about fermentation, we're psyched. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, and I hope that Garum has another thousand years. <laughs> yes. yes, yes, yes. Well. That is what we have to say about Garam for now. It is. It is. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, 
limitless answers. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Is the fish getting fermented? That was one of my more complicated. Ones. It was, it was, but no, that yeah. that is certainly. I'm not sure if we pulled it off audially, but um, but, but your your gesticulation and facial expression did indicate <laughs> um, a fish being extremely confused about its own putrefaction. So, <laughs> so there you go. Yay! <laughs> thank you. Oh. Uh, thank you. I yes. <laughs> again, it's only you that gets to witness these uh, things. So. <sighs> Well, <laughs> Florence wrote, mm-hmm. a long-time listener, first-time writer. Anyway, mm-hmm. I just started the episode on gooey ducks, and at first I had no idea what it was. But as soon as Lauren started describing it, I was pretty convinced it was a Palord Royale, uh, one of the French names for it. It was. Mm-hmm. I decided I couldn't let you go without the absolute masterpiece that is this blooper reel from a Quebec cooking show. The video is in French, with one having a Quebec Vietnamese accent and the other having a Quebec Senegalese accent, but they are automatically automated subtitles. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) I watched this video. You don't even need to know what they're saying, to be honest. I laughed so hard when they just plopped the gooey duck out and everyone just died. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? I don't think I had seen a video so... um, I'd seen a lot of pictures. It was funny. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, goodness. If you'd never seen video before, that was a treat, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was. I laughed pretty hard. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, heck. Um Mike wrote, I'm originally from the St. Louis, Missouri area, and some people find our way to eat bagels strange. Uh, St. Louis Bread Co. uh, Company, a.k.a. Panera, to the rest of the nation, offers bread sliced bagels. It makes bagels a finger food that you can put cream cheese on each slice of or dip. Um, I've also seen groups order different flavored bagels and different cream cheeses and share them since they are bread sliced. Uh, people not from the area often look stunned or offended by this. Side note, I, yes, I would be a little shook. Um, uh, Mike continues, uh, St. Louis has several interesting foods. Uh, St. Louis-style pizza, Emos? Imos? Sure. I-M-O-S. Yeah, that one. Um, is thin crust square cut with Provel cheese, a Provel cheese being another food out-of-towners are unsure about. Uh, toasted raviolis are another Imos food that I grew up thinking was everywhere, but apparently was a St. Louis thing that's just now spreading. Uh, sorry, I feel like this is running on too long, but gooey butter cake sounds like a Paula Deen specialty, but is actually a St. Louis delicacy. Okay, I've, I've had gooey butter cake, but everything else is, yes, new to me. Um, I've had toasted ravioli. I've had fried ravioli. <laughs> Is that the same? <laughs> uh, or I've had ravioli that were t- toasted, mm-hmm. but like in a in a fried ravioli style, like breaded and mm-hmm. toasted. Yeah, um, I've had that. That's what I'm thinking of. That might okay. be different. Also, I'm so sorry if I mispronounced everything. <laughs> that- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
definitely Heck. when I saw the pictures of the, the bagels, it made me laugh too. Yeah. I did a, a bit of a double take. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, um, shook. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with the word shook. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't want to heckin' yuck anyone's yum, man. Like, like I want everyone to enjoy what they enjoy, mm-hmm. the way that they enjoy it. Um, it, it's, it is a different, it is a different way of consuming <laughs> a bagel, and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, I can see it being useful. Yeah, you know? in the, the case, the cases you were talking about there, sure, certainly. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. These regional things, so cool. Yeah, they genuinely are. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, future episode topics all. Um, <laughs> yes. In the meantime, thanks to both of these listeners for writing. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.